Hello, and welcome to Excess Advantage, Season 3, Episode 5, Social Encounters. In this episode, we are going to start off with a brief overview of the social skills, so we have a solid foundation of understanding the rules, and that way we know how the new social encounter suggestions and rules in the EPG Part 3, Chapter 3 interact with what we currently have. Hello, and welcome to the newest episode of Excess Advantage. Since today's main topic is going to be about the social encounters expanded rules in the Expanded Player's Guide, I figured beforehand we would just touch on social skills a little bit to have a firm understanding of what the optional rule in the EPG does to the current existing rule system. I am not going to be going into the uh, social encounter rules. If you want to, there is a prior episode of Excess Advantage, which I will link in the show notes, that deals with them. But basically, the social skills are different facets of getting another character to do something for your character. If you're trying to get them to do something for you, that is a social skill check. And they each approach it differently. Charm is using your force of personality to compliment, flatter, woo, make someone feel at ease, all of these things that make them want to do something for you. Um, it's the more general social skill when, you, when you're not quite sure what social skill to use. Charm is a pretty good fallback. As we discussed, the other social skills we'll get into when you would and would not use them. But if you're just trying to get someone to do something for you just because without any ulterior motives, that's charm. Uh, next up is coercion, which is using fear of force or sometimes even force itself. You're trying to browbeat someone. You are interrogating them and torturing them. Anything where there is uh, force, fear of force, potential for uh, inflicting pain or suffering, that's coercion. It is definitely the bad cop skill, whereas charm is the good cop skill. But the main thing is if there is at least a threat of force, it doesn't have, you don't have to actually beat them up, but just staying there being imposing is coercion. Um, next up is deception, which is anytime you lie to someone. Now, the important thing is this is anytime you lie or purposefully bend the truth. You could be flattering to someone, which normally would be uh, charm, but if you're not sincere about it and you're trying to use their vanity against them, you are deceiving them, you are not charming them. So deception is anytime you are not being truthful. This also covers situations where you are um, hiding something, whether it is your actual physical appearance, so you are um, disguised, or you are pretending to be in a military structure and you're giving orders to someone, you're, that's not a leadership check because you are lying to them because you don't actually have the authority to do that. You're just hoping that your deception is um, believable enough that they will just look the other way. Speaking of which, leadership is the next social skill. And this is when um, the person you're talking to is going to do what you want based out of a feeling of or a sense of duty or uh, fear of reprisal as long as there is a legitimate um, something backing you up. So a police officer telling a civilian to move along, a private in the military being given an order by a lieutenant, things of that nature where there's, where there's an actual reason for someone to listen to your orders. So like if you're just trying to tell someone to buzz off and you don't have any real or perceived authority over them, 
it's probably not going to work. That would be a charm or coercion, depending on if you're being nice about it or being rude about it. But leadership doesn't necessarily always need a um, organization behind it, because if you are trying to organize a group of people in, say, a rally, or if there is a crisis going on and someone steps up to take charge of a situation, that implied hierarchy where you are making it known that you are taking charge of the situation, as long as they're willing to follow your lead, you can use leadership. And last up is negotiation. So negotiation is, if you do something for me, I will do something for you. The key point of negotiation is that your character legitimately has something that they're willing to give up and will follow through with that. So a successful negotiation check just means you get more out of the exchange or you don't have to give up as much. But for it to be a negotiation check, there actually has to be something that they're willing to give up in order to get what they want. But if your character has no intention of giving someone something, they're just pretending to get the upper hand, that is a deception check because you are lying to them. Negotiation is being willing to and able to give up something in return. So even on a successful negotiation check, your character still has to do something for them. Otherwise, it is charm, coercion, or deception, and not negotiation. Okay, now that we have that primer on social skills out of the way, let's dive into part three, chapter three of the Expanded Player's Guide, Social Encounters. So the big thing about social encounters is that Genesis is one of the few systems that actually has dedicated rules to how social encounters work, and there are mechanics behind it as opposed to most games which just say either do one skill check and that's it, or have the players roleplay it out and then as a GM decide what happens. So there is a lot of contention in the community about whether or not you should use social encounter rules or not. And if you don't think that you should use social encounter rules, then you can go ahead and ignore this episode because none of it is going to be germane to you or your table. But I personally feel like if we don't expect people to be masters of the weapons or magic that they use in a game session, we should neither expect them to be masters of the words that they use or the uh, social acumen that their characters might have. So my personal stance is that the social encounter rules are some of the best I've ever seen in any role-playing game, and you should definitely use them, and you should not expect your players to be as adept with their words as the character is, especially if the character has a really good uh, dice pool in their social skills. So the number one thing with social encounters, as with any encounters, is action economy. Unless there is an equal or greater number of adversaries as player characters, the player characters are most likely going to win any encounter just because they have more actions and are able to roll more dice and generate more successes, do more damage, inflict more strain, all that stuff. So um, in the core rulebook on page 204, there is a nemesis extra activation rule, which should be used for any major nemesis. Not all nemeses need to have this rule, especially if they're more of a minor supporting role, but like uh, a campaign long big bad is going to want to do this because it gives them more chances to act against the PCs as well as um, more chances to roll dice. Because it all comes down to the more dice you roll, the more likely you are to succeed in the uh, encounter. Another way to provide um, mitigation of action economy is the historical split the party. Just because you have a social encounter set up for 
the face of the group or even you know the noble knight is the only person that the king is willing to talk to no one else which is actually a better example of the next uh, piece of advice that the book gives so we'll we'll put that in our back pocket and come right back to it in many tv shows movies books we have the situation where the main group is split so you have the uh the face character doing the social thing you have the bookish character doing the research thing you have the physical oriented character you know roughing up people trying to get information that kind of thing so splitting the group and giving the non-social characters something else to do cuts down on the number of dice rolls against the specific adversary who is the focus of the social encounter Um, the next item that we're gonna come back to is refuse engagement this one just kind of for some reason never occurred to me until i read it in the book and this goes back to the example of the knight is the only one the king will uh, talk to because there are many settings where there are social protocols and um, there are social statutes that need to be upheld and observed and a member of royalty probably won't bother talking to a commoner and this could be a fantasy game where you have a duke a a countess a king queen prince princess any person in a position of power is going to be a member of the aristocracy and therefore they only interact with people of the aristocracy and they have you know they have people that deal with the commoners and even though the pcs are major players in the world or in the universe uh galaxy what however big your campaign spans if nobody has noble credentials and that nobility might just flat out refuse to see them so if you are unable to have an audience with someone you are unable to make skill checks against them so that could open up um, side quests for your character to do something that would get the attention of the nobility maybe do enough things to have one of them knighted or you know woo a member of the nobility and marry into power to allow them to um, actually be able to interact with the people they need to talk to it's a great detour to throw in the way of your players don't make it a hard stop because you don't want um, their ideas to just be shut down completely but give them an opportunity to um, get around that that uh that detour so it'll take them another two maybe three adventures to uh, do what needs doing to be able to attain the status necessary but that is definitely um something that is often overlooked just because pcs have a good skill check doesn't mean that they are automatically allowed to roll the dice the next piece of advice in the book is main adversaries and supporters this is very similar to combat encounters where you have a main rival or nemesis with a few minor rivals or minions supporting them so you do the exact same thing with social encounters you have your main adversary uh, usually a nemesis if it's a big social encounter because then they'll have a strain threshold but again see the previous episode about social encounters for more advice on that but just you know in a court situation you have hangers-ons you have gawkers um if you are meeting with a criminal in the underworld they're probably going to have their own posse with them who might throw out challenges to other player characters so you are sort of splitting the party because everybody is still in the same uh, social encounter but everybody has different tasks 
that they're assigned to do because if you don't take out the supporting minions then they're just going to cause more strain to the player characters and they are more likely to capitulate than get what they want so being able to um, spread out the skill checks against multiple targets definitely um, makes it a lot easier to manage so they're not all dogpiling on the one uh, nemesis in the encounter. One that I find very fun is the idea of dealing with conflicting assertions. This is a wonderful reminder to throw in boost and setback dice as needed. The example given in the book is if one PC threatens the NPC and the next PC tries to charm them, you can add setback dice to the check and remark that the NPC is becoming confused and distrustful. Um, one of my players, she very much enjoys seducing dang near everybody they come across. So do I let her roll her charm check? Yes, but I usually throw in like three or four setback dice if that person is trying to kill her because, well, kill her character. I don't actually advocate killing the players around your table, but I throw in a fair number of setback dice onto the check because it's very unlikely that they're going to respond favorably to that because there is that animosity against her character and the player group as a whole. Uh, long story, but um, pretty much the first time they encountered this main NPC, they literally beat him up and kept beating him up to prevent him from casting spells to get away for like a week straight, so he very much hates them. Another thing that this brings to mind that isn't explicitly talked about in the EPG but falls under the same heading is pay attention to character motivations because going against an NPC's motivation will add a setback or two depending on if it is um, a desire or a fear or if it's a strength or flaw you know the strengths and flaws are one fear and desire is two um, and also check the player character's motivations because if they go against one of their own they might add one or more setback dice so the motivations are a very important facet of your character especially during social encounters and uh, the next piece of advice they give is cooperation if a bunch of pcs are performing the same basic type of skill check they are all working together to negotiate a trade agreement or they're all interrogating um, a criminal that they just arrested or they're all doing the same type of check then turn to page 26 of the core rulebook and use the uh, the rules for assisted skill checks. So we're, we're just having one person roll, even if two, three, or even four player characters are doing the same thing, because they're all cooperating and helping. So you take the highest characteristic out of the group and the highest skill out of the group, make your base dice pull off of that. And since there's more player characters, throw in a boost die or two, because there's more contributing to the check than just the two characters which is a wonderful way of uh, handling the dogpiling of three or more characters on one NPC because you're still just making one skill check even if you have a lot of uh, dice being added to that skill check. And I think cooperative skill checks are one of the lesser used types of skill checks, which is kind of sad because the cooperation rules are pretty amazing. And then lastly, on page 108, we have the new rule, group leaders. This is more applicable for anybody with a gang or a guild or a bunch of people who are beholden to them in one form or fashion. Someone who has a lot of hangers-ons is more likely to hold on longer than if you just meet some rando on the street. 
And the idea is that when you're dealing with a large group of people, instead of using the cooperation rules, you just increase the strain threshold of your leader based on the number of individuals in their group, which ranges from plus 5 for 10 to 25 individuals in the group, all the way up to plus 25 if there are more than 500 people in their organization. And this is great for when you are getting an audience with the king at court. It is great when you are trying to um, broker a deal with a criminal and their gang, you know, trying to get safe passage through their territory or whatever. There's a bunch of them, so therefore the more sizable the group, the harder it's going to be to convince them to do something for you. And I think that is a great compromise if you don't want to use any of the others. You just want, you know, your four player characters to make as many skill checks as they can against the uh, adversary. Great. Well, they have plus 15 to their uh, strain threshold because there's 80 people in that uh, specific organization. Or if you're dealing with a bureaucratic nightmare of 700 people, well, you just increase their strain threshold by 25. And that is insane. They're more likely to tire out the player characters than they are to fully capitulate because most nemeses are going to have a strain threshold between 15 and 20 anyway. So you're more than doubling their strain threshold for this um, specific encounter. So, you know, it's a great starting point bust out the other rules as needed and be sure to uh, talk with your players and make sure they're on board and they are well aware of any additional rules that you're using from this chapter. So those are some great uh, additions to your social encounters to make them more dynamic and more exciting and make your uh, adversaries last a little bit longer than they would otherwise. So remember, regardless of success or failure of your role, always check for excess advantage.